This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're going to have an interesting show today. This morning, we're going to talk about air and space law. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you all up in Oxford today? We're doing great, Liz, and I am so excited to have Charles Stotler and Michelle Hamlin on today. Uh, they are associate directors of our LLM program and our air, uh, remote sensing air and space program here that we have at the law school. And ours is one of the oldest and most established programs in, the, in this area in the country. Uh, and uh, we're just excited they're both here. They bring great expertise. They each have uh, an LLM uh, from McGill University, uh, which is in Canada, which is regarded as, uh, I think, the top besides ours, the top uh, LLM program in the, in, the, in the world. And they both uh, play a, a great role in teaching our students. Uh, Michelle's area is primarily in, in the uh, area of air law, and she'll be talking about that. And then Charles teaches in space law. I, I'm interested in uh, Michelle is the president for All Moonkind Incorporated, which uh, we can hear more about uh, today as well. So great to have them here. There's a lot of practical application to what they both do. Uh, especially as we've gotten to more privatization uh, in, in space launches and uh, so, and also drones. So we've got a lot to talk about. Well, Professor Hanlon and Pro- Professor Stotler will welcome to In Legal Terms. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And uh, I have to say uh, we're new to Mississippi and loving every minute of it. Well, we're, we're certainly glad uh, that you're here. And it, it is so fascinating that Ole Miss has carved their – uh, path and has this as a space law as a, a specialty. Well, indeed, the program has been here for quite some time. Starting in the in the um, 1960s, Dr. Stephen Gurov started the program here, and um, it's been here ever since. It's one of the oldest space law programs in the world, and uh, we're very we we are uh, very proud of the the heritage here in space law. And in legal terms, has been a friend of the space law program. You can hear back uh, episodes of in legal terms. I believe we did one in June of 2017 and one in November of 2016. That has a bit of the background of space law. But I wanted to focus uh, some today on what's current, what's new, what's now. And President Trump uh, has a vision for a new branch of the military as a space force. So let's talk a little bit about both the uh, constitutional way a new branch of government, a new branch of the military gets formed, and also what laws would be in effect if we had a space force. 
Who wants to who wants to start on that? So a Space Force is uh, sort of an amorphous term at this point, and it's very difficult, you know, being, being lawyers, to talk in specifics about something we don't really know what the shape of it is. And I think the first step is to, to, to think about what, what exactly is a Space Force. And we have all these visions of Jedi Knights and uh, 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 Harrison Ford shooting down things in his Millennium Falcon, but I don't believe that is really uh, an accurate portrait of what a Space Force would be. Because right now, the the biggest issues in space are things like jamming, radio frequencies, cyber attacks. Um, these are these are issues and uh, the kinds of uh, problems we seek to to prevent. Um, and that's not going to be preventable using you know, Jedi Knights and um, people holding saber, lightsabers. I, I think I concur with Michelle's assessment there. I mean, we, we think of a space force and we think of men in suits with laser beams flying around in orbit. But really, I mean, one of the largest issues that the U.S. military generally and, and the Air Force particularly faces is um, tracking and dealing with out debris in outer space. And so when, you know, we think of men with lasers and we're actually talking about people who are crunching numbers and doing things like um, conjunction assessments for objects that we're placing into outer space to make sure that things don't collide with each other. And um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of popular misconception in um, in the popular press and in popular thinking about what a space force might be. And to, to a large extent, um, it could just be something very pragmatic, like um, taking people who are very good at mathematics and moving them out of the Air Force and into a, a separate and distinct branch. Well, let's get into what legal issues and what laws apply. So if there is a a satellite that has weapons capability, whatever that might be, and it belongs to one country, uh, the satellite does, what can another country interfere with the operation of that satellite if they feel it's in their national uh, defense best interest? These are questions that are being debated currently um, at the international and national levels. Uh, it, these, there aren't really clear answers to these questions. Several things to consider are that um, there are some rights and obligations that arise under international law that might allow a state to take some kind of action um, in that regard. Um, things like necessity, um, like uh, due regard principles under international law. Um, and then there's the notion of self-defense. One thing to note about space law is that um, the Outer Space Treaty itself um, expressly brings international public international law, particularly particularly the U.N. Charter, into outer space. And part of the U.N. Charter has an exception to the prohibition on the use of force. Um, The use of force is prohibited under Article 2.4, but Article 51 of the U.N. Charter allows you to to do things under the right of self-defense. And so um, legal scholars right now are are debating what the meets and bounds of these uh, rights and obligations are, what kind of actions a state could take and what kind of actions would be out of bounds. That is all very interesting. And with space law, I would assume, probably incorrectly, that maritime law was one of the first laws that would apply in space. Tell us, uh, what about that assumption? 
So maritime law is a, is a model, certainly. Um, we have the same concepts of uh, the, uh, the commons, um, and we look at, at the law of the sea, and we look at how we're managing um, resources. Um, it, people like to try to apply to space, but it really doesn't, because space is, is truly boundless. We are looking at, at these are not finite resources. So to, to try and, and bring maritime law into spaces is not a, an accurate parallel. There are certainly a lot of principles we'd like to borrow, um, thinking about how we're going to manage uh, resource utilization in space. Um, but there are, are many that, that just don't apply. And if I can just add to that, I think, you know, law of the sea and maritime law has served as a model to some extent. Um, you think about things like the right of innocent passage, um, going back to Hugo Grotius in, 19, uh, in 1609, when he successfully argued for the right of innocent passage and freedom of the high seas in his work, um, Mare Liberum. Um, these concepts were picked up in aviation law and in space law, and particular, particularly was applied in space law. So you have a similarity, but it's, you know, reasoning by analogy is somewhat um, dangerous because the environments are so very different. The laws that apply are going to be so very different. Even if there are some kinds of parallels, um, uh, the application is going to be different. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we get back, we'll talk about drone use, part of the university's law school. Uh, part of this division is the air for air and space. We'll talk a little bit about that in drone laws. If you have a question about how does this all affect you specifically, we'd love to hear your question. Our number is one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Enjoying this episode of In Legal Terms, you might enjoy the episode we did on November 1st, 2016, or the episode on June 20th, 2017, also talking about the Space Law Center at the University of Mississippi School of Law. You can find both of these episodes on our webpage, mpbonline.org slash in legal terms, on the MPB Media app, or download it as a podcast on whatever platform you use. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our programs, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. And we're trying to win a race with some of our other MPB shows with getting our podcast subscriptions. So if you like to download podcasts to listen to 
off air. We'd love for you to subscribe to In Legal Terms. I am Liz Gill. We're here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning we're talking about space law, which is a exciting thing to think about. It's also interesting to find out how that applies to our daily life. We've got Professors Michelle Hanlon and Professor Charles Stoltler from the Air and Space Law uh, Division and instructors at the university. And Professor Gershon, so if uh, if we wanted to have a space force getting going to the previous topic, would this be something Congress has to enact, laws that they would need to enact? Well, I think the first thing would be the military really starts with the president and the national security, about security council, uh, secretary of state. I mean, it would be more of an executive level uh, starting point. I mean, the the fact is we, are, we really have branches of, of uh, the military right now that could uh, have this Space force, if there was such a thing, be part of the existing branches of the military. You know, the the original Air Force was part of the Army Air Corps and became a separate branch at some point, and that went through a process. And yes, eventually, it would have to go through Congress to to fund that um, particular branch. But you know, I, I think it's unlikely that we would have a new branch. I think it makes sense. We already have uh, land, air, and sea represented by the branches of the uh, military that we have already. Uh, I think it would uh, be unnecessary to create a new one, but that you know, and and, and it, the, you know, NASA has been, while you know, partly civilian. I mean, there there are aspects of NASA that have been have worked with both the Air Force and the Navy, uh, you know, depending. So, uh, you know, I think that, that that we probably would not have a full new branch. It could happen though. Well, it's it's fun to think about. Uh, in a, it's an interesting thing to think about. Another interesting thing to think about is drone use. That's something that has just skyrocketed in the last few years. With Hurricane Florence, we've seen so much coverage of the flooded area in North Carolina through drones. Oh, Professor Gershon, you have? Did you have uh, family and friends in North Carolina? Have you heard from them? I actually have uh, family and friends in South Carolina. Oh. Thanks for asking, Liz. But uh, <laughs> they are in Charleston. And actually, while they evacuated, they're doing they're doing fine. And I appreciate uh, your concern. I am worried about uh, people farther north uh, up the coast, uh, not too far from Charleston. Um, there's a, a new uh, system developing off the coast that is supposed to bring more rain, unfortunately. And so Georgetown and, and Myrtle Beach and places like that in South Carolina might be hit. And, of course, the people in North Carolina are still... Uh, Digging out, it, it's a testament to to human re, uh, resourcefulness, and and uh, you know, and we wish them all well. And you know, when we think about you know turning our attention to air and space law, I mean, one of the things that as, as humanity we we have to look to you know our next place, and uh, certainly what what uh, Michelle and Charles are teaching about really, you know, is as I think our next stop as humanity is to be you know using uh, those unlimited resources that are available in space. If I can jump in, too, you know, you, you talk about space applications and how they affect us here on Earth all, um, all the time, especially with respect to the hurricanes. You know, we're using remote sensing satellites to track these hurricanes better than we've ever been able to in the past. And and although I also have a son in Charleston who evacuated and wondered, you know, why did I leave? Um, you know, we have the ability to warn people and get them out of harm's way, even if we're not always right. We're a lot a lot more right than we are without our satellites. 
And what I with the hurricane, the the use of drones was so interesting to get that view. And drones are also used in Mississippi a lot for crops. But then a lot of times people don't like drones because they feel maybe your neighbor is trying to to peep in your house. Can you talk about what are some of the laws that currently cover drone use? That's a very interesting question. So, I mean, what we're seeing right now is a uh, an interplay between state and federal um, lawmaking on addressing drones, and um, there's this notion of preemption where um, the the laws that affect drones um, are are Congress has the uh, the idea is that Congress has the final say. However, that doesn't mean that states aren't participating. Um, Mississippi, for instance, our home state here in Mississippi, has passed a law, SB 2022, on um, expanding its peeping Tom laws to include drones. So um, we really see privacy issues particularly driving this notion of states playing a role in lawmaking and regulation making for drones. One of the more recent information about drones is they're proposing I believe uh, tomorrow Congress was going to discuss having, giving authorization to more law enforcement to shoot down drones if they're in the way, if they feel like they're causing harm or they're in the way of uh, carrying out official duties. What do you know about that? My understanding well so I I think Part of the question there is what, to what extent does – we're talking about – to some extent we're talking about safety, but we're also talking about national security issues there. And my understanding is part of that law has to do with shooting down drones that are over um, sensitive areas or protected areas. And to that extent, I think that the law is only an extension of the powers that already exist. It's sort of a clarification that the federal government can take action um, if these – drones go over places where they're not supposed to be. And so um, I think that it's a less controversial provision than people might think. Um, But then you get into situations where, for instance, um, California firefighters fighting wildfires, um, where a a drone is spotted in the area, a a, a private drone, people wanted to take images of the fires, and this prevented um, uh, other aerial vehicles, helicopters, and aircraft from dropping water and assisting the firefighters um, because they didn't know if there was going to be some kind of a collision. And so in those circumstances, I think the question is, what actions can can state and um, federal officials take in order to mitigate an issue so that they can proceed with uh, in an emergency situation? And uh, another um, thing you have to think about is uh, recently there's been a lot of news about drones and airplanes around airports, um, and that's a real issue in terms of uh, causing. And one, one of these days, if we can't figure out how to regulate it and enforce those regulations, there's going to be a commercial aviation accident uh, because a drone has flown into uh, a jet or, or somehow um, uh, caused a cause an accident, uh, cause a diversion for the pilot. All right. We have a uh, question on the line we're going to get to. If you have a question, we're talking with Professors Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler from the Air and Space 
Department uh, Division of the University of Mississippi School of Law. There are also research councils at the university's law school. And we have Dudley from Calhoun County on In Legal Terms. Go ahead, Dudley. Hello? Hi, Dudley. Go ahead. You're on In Legal Terms. Oh, I have read recently or heard something about that there were tons of trash floating around in space. Is there any such law that regulates this, or is this going to be like we have here on Earth? That is a great question, and and there is indeed a lot of uh, space junk, uh, as we call it, or orbital debris. Um, You know, everything that goes up uh, sort of sits there for a very long time, and uh, there's a fear of something called the Kessler syndrome, is if you have large things break up, you're going to have even more small debris. Uh, to the extent that we can't even get out of our own orbit without hitting something. Um, currently, under international law, you know, there's no, there's no specific regulation of orbital debris at this point, although uh, uh, the international community has created regulations to prevent and mitigate further debris, um, and so we have rules about how long a satellite may, might stay up. Before you launch, you have to make sure that um, you have an end-of-life plan for that satellite. But this is, these are mitigation measures. Um, we also need to worry about remedial measures. And so there are, are a lot of people, a lot of private companies right now talking about how they're going to go up there and actually recycle this debris, which would be phenomenal. You know, let, let's take the example that we have on Earth, and instead of just throwing things out, let's reuse them. Um, but these are all, as you can imagine, very expensive propositions. And right now, one of the things that we're looking at here at um, Mississippi Air and Space Law is how do we incentivize uh, private orbital debris removal and, and recycling? How do we create an economic environment to make it um, beneficial, not just for uh, the, the private company to do this, but also it would benefit all of us to be able to have clean skies and clean space again and not have to worry about collisions? That was fantastic. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for calling in, Dudley. We appreciate your uh, being a friend of the show. What are some what are some of the laws currently uh, surrounding back to our our drone topic? What are some of the laws if someone got gets a new drone for Christmas? What are some things they need to keep in mind? Well, um, one of the things, several of the things, they need to keep in mind that the FAA has created rules and regulations for the use of drones. Um, And these are what is known as Part 107 requirements. This is part of the Code of Federal Regulations. And and at at a... very basic level, um, in order to operate the drone, it has to be registered um, with the FAA, and you can do that online. Um, You have to have a remote pilot um, certificate, um, and uh, you have to be at least 16 years of age in order to uh, legally operate a drone. How easy is it to get a space, uh, to get a drone license uh, certificate? 
Um, my understanding is it's actually not that onerous. Um, I think the FAA is trying to make this process uh, user-friendly. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't – well, I mean, another thing to consider, though, is that if you're operating over your own property and you're not going above a certain height, I don't think that there's an issue. You can just – you can go ahead and do these things. Um, but if you want to operate out in public, you're going to have to follow the Part 107 requirements. Um, so that, that, that's another factor to consider. And there are a lot of groups, for example, Women in Drones uh, does tutorials online to make it easier for you to get your license. Um, and if you have a pilot's license, I, th I believe it's almost automatic. I can just imagine people taking their drones down to the DMV and having the instructor stand outside and watch you operate it to, to, to certify or not. But I, I do think it is fascinating that drones are becoming so much a part of different people's lives. Uh, the people who own property next to my mom, they were auctioning it off, and the auctioneers came in and took lots of drone footage. Um, I know that a lot of the farmers will use drones to, to check on crops. Uh, what are some ways that you've seen, y'all have heard, that drones have been uh, used in everyday life? Well, I mean, I think one of the one of the as with property sales um, assessments for insurance purposes are are frequently done um, by drones. If you want to get on top above a, a larger structure and inspect the roof, drones are a very good way to do that. Um, you know, it, it's safer than sending someone up there. So there are a lot of benefits to this. On farming. Um, precision farming is one of the main benefits of drones. You can fly over a. Um, you can fly over a field and um, scan it and use the images and the information that you gather in order to guide um, tractors and other equipment in order to precisely place um, seeds and, and to fertilize in areas that need more or less. Um, so um, the applications for farming, for industries like insurance, for industries like construction, um, they're absolutely incredible. All right. Well, we need to take our next break. When we come back, we'll talk more about why space law is important, why it's growing. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's prefix 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. He's at the University of Mississippi School of Law with our two guests, Professors Michelle Hanlon and Professor Charles Stolyer, both with the Air and Space Law Division of the University of Mississippi School of Law. 
So this morning we are talking about space law. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love for you to be part of our show. Our number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. And we do have a call from Perkiston. Uh, Tim, you're on in legal terms. Go ahead. Yes, I uh, inspect houses, and so I uh, bought a drone so that I can take pictures of the roof. So I probably never get much more than 40 or 50 feet in the air, but it's not over my own property. Do I need a license to do that? And uh, if so, how do I go about obtaining one? Uh Indeed, you do. And anytime you're using a drone, um, other than on your own property, and particular, particularly if you're using it for commercial purposes, uh, you need to follow the rules that the that the FAA has put forward. Um, and you can find those on their website. Um, what you would need is a remote pilot certificate, and um, you can go on to the FAA's website and um, and and um, submit paperwork to begin the process to do that. Um, and you would need to register this drone uh, with the FAA on their website. All right. That'd be FAA.com? Uh, FAA.gov. Um, particularly for the register, you can, and under certain circumstances, you can get a waiver from some of the requirements. I mean, there are a lot of different, um, there are a lot of different rules, but I would, I would be, begin by looking at um, FAA.gov um, and go from there. All righty, we'll look it up today and try to get on the legal side of things. Thank you. Indeed. Fantastic, Tim. I'm always excited when our show can give practical, uh, specific information to someone. I'm glad, uh, Tim, I hope he does a good job with his uh, home inspection business. On our previous shows of In Legal Terms, I believe there's one in June of 2017 and November of 2016, we've talked about some of the international treaties and the early developments of space law what have things have uh, what have been some of the space law uh, laws that have been created in, in the the 2000s what to get us up to this century well, uh, under international law, there have not been any new treaties since the, since the core five were passed in the in the seventies. Um, there have been what we call soft law, a lot of um, uh, agreements, declarations, uh, guidelines, and principles that the international community has agreed. For example, regarding uh, orbital debris. Um, so the the. International community has not sat down and actually looked um, to amend or or uh, uh, adopt a new treaty. Although I did see today, um, their, uh, Fast Company had a big article about how the UN General Assembly was going to take a look at the Outer Space Treaty and perhaps amend it, which I thought was a little aggressive um, and hopeful and optimistic. Um, right now, uh, there is a, a definitely an understanding within in the international community. Um, the United uh, Nations of, uh, Office of Outer Space Affairs is a fantastic um, administrative office working to keep the in international community together. It's a platform for the international community to come together and discuss all issues regarding space. Um, there's a lot of concern uh, developing nations wanting to get into space and uh, developed nations who are uh, perhaps polluting space by putting too much stuff up there. Um, and and these and uh, the military uses of space. There are uh, several um, 
non-governmental organizations looking specifically, um, as Professor Stotler said earlier, at, at military uses and, and can you um, use uh, radio frequency or lasers in self-defense in order to uh, knock out somebody else's satellite. So no, it's, it's sort of sad to say no hard progress, but tremendous international um, uh, community um, talking and it's it to me it's just one of the places um, in the international law where people are still willing to sit at a table and discuss and maybe not come to a hard written agreement but at least we're all in the same room talking well professors Hamlin and, and Stotler, I, I, I one concern I have is where you know we realize that asteroids for example have tremendous resources available that that somebody's going to want to explore probably in the fairly near term how do we Regulate who owns those things. You know, it seems like otherwise it could become a free for all at some point if we don't have some uh, good international regulation. I think the the starting point of that question is to note that under the Outer Space Treaty, no country can take territory in outer space. And so um, the notion of that there will be some sort of land grab at the national level um, in outer space, I think is um, I think that that idea has been fair, has been dispelled. And I think most countries are on board with that principle and follow it. Um, but then you get to the question of how you do property ownership. The U.S. and Luxembourg have passed laws on this issue that grant their citizens um, the right to own property acquired in outer space, to own resources acquired in outer space. Um, but it's still unclear how, what, the, what the details of that will be. Um, and so we, there's a lot of discussion at the international level um, between nation states at the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, as well as through um, non-governmental initiatives such as a working group established in The Hague to look at these issues. And there we have industry, academia, as well as um, representatives from countries um, meeting to talk about these issues. Um, but the short answer is currently it's unclear how that's going to work. Well, we're talking today with Professors Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler. Of the air and, they're air and space law instructors at the University of Mississippi School of Law, along with Professor Gershon. I'm Liz Gill. You're listening to In Legal Terms. We'd love for you to call in. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. Your law division there is air and space here's the question what's the definition what's the difference between air and space well, that's debatable um of course um the, there is no definition uh, defining where air ends and space begins. Um, it's it's a, one of the uh, perpetually debated questions at the United Nations level. Um, I believe one country, Australia, has determined that it should be the demarcation point is 100 kilometers um, and the the U.S. adopts a uh, a use uh, principle, um, looking to see what what projectile is there, um, and deciding based on uh, it, its capabilities whether it is operating as an air vehicle or a space vehicle. 
Indeed, as, as Michelle said, there's no consensus on the, the answer to this question and for many reasons. Um, but there are two main approaches, and the main approaches are a spatialist approach and a functional, functionalist approach. And as she said, Australia has adopted a spatialist approach, which looks for some kind of geographic line in the sky, um, whereas the U.S. and other countries are adopting a functionalist approach. They look to see what the vehicle does. If it's capable of going to orbit, if the object is capable of going to orbit and maintaining orbit, then it's a space object. If it's not, then it's likely not. You get into a, a gray area with um, suborbital launches, things that aren't capable of attaining the speed to maintain orbit. So things that go very high, but um, like a tennis ball being thrown into the air, um, come back down uh, on a lob trajectory. Um, we don't know what to do with those things. We don't know if they're space objects, if they have wings, are they aircraft? No one's really sure how to treat these vehicles. And under U.S. law currently, actually, they're treated as both. All right. We have a call in. We have from Tupelo. Tara has called in. Go ahead, Tara. Uh, this is Sarah Davis, and I'm the chief ranger of the Natchez Trace Parkway. And I was just hoping to remind listeners that the use of drones on federal property, such as the Natchez Trace Parkway, um, Vicksburg National Military Park, is, is prohibited. We uh, have a lot of trouble with that and just wanted to get that out. Fantastic. We're so glad that you called to remind our listeners. Thank you so much. All right. So I would also assume that uh, the VA buildings and post offices and Social Security offices, uh, all of those are uh, federal areas that uh, people would need to keep their drones away from. And airports as well. That's right, airports. It is a shame when... Uh, drones get in the way of that but I can remember in college and this was in the, the middle 80s we were out flying a kite one time and it was my husband's my boyfriend's now husband's roommate was flying a kite too close to a hospital and they had a helicopter and uh, he, they came out to, we were still there a while later and they came out and fussed at him because his kite was too close to the flight path well, Liz, you were in, in college in the Middle 80s. I was in college in the Middle Ages, and uh, we didn't have that problem. <laughs> well, Professor Gershon, can you chime in with a – has there ever been a brand-new set of laws needed to be developed? I know a lot of our laws come from Middle Ages. They come from uh, Babylonian times, or they come from uh, uh, Moses' time, and now we have the Space Age. How will laws get decided this way? Well, I think you know it starts with state legislatures and Congress, depending on the the area. You know, obviously, you know, cell phones you know have developed, and and we've needed to have different regulation for, you know, those types of things. We did not have the internet. Uh, a lot of regular we had uh, you know discussions about the internet, uh, genetics. We had Stacy Lantane on just a, a few uh, shows ago talking about Twenty Three and Me, and and uh, you know those types of organizations that do genetic testing. You know, we need new laws for those. So, yeah, the law is developing all the time, which makes it, to me, fascinating and why I've I'm, I'm always been interested in, in uh, the law and you know, lucky to be teaching it. And so the area that uh, Professors Hanlon and Stoller teach in is really, uh, you know, it, again, not as new as people expect it to be, I don't think, but, but certainly developing. And 
they mentioned today that you know there's some things that haven't really we don't really have laws about that that we're going to need laws for. So, you know, it's an interesting area and certainly one that is practical uh, and affects our day to day lives. Well, and let's hear more about that when we come back from our next break. Let's talk about what's going on at Ole Miss. You're listening to In Legal Terms. Our number here is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. When we come break, we'll back from the break, we'll focus on what's going on at Ole Miss uh, and the development of space law and how it can help the private sector. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. And as you just heard with that promo for the Get Out the Vote next week, on In Legal Terms, our guest is going to be Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman, and we'll talk about voter registration. We'll talk about the midterm elections. So if you won't, if you don't think you'll be able to listen to that show from your radio, you can listen to us online at mpbonline.org. It has a listen live button, but if you miss the show, then usually by the afternoon, you our show is online. You can go to mpbonline.org slash in legal terms, and then it's also available as a podcast or on the MPB media app. I'm Liz Gill, and Professor Richard Gershon and I have our guests, our professors, Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler, with the Air and Space Law Division of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we're talking about what it is Old Miss does. But first, we have a call from Mobile. Mikey, go ahead on in legal terms. Thank you so much. I really appreciate appreciate y'all's help with this. Um, uh, it, this kind of ties in with questions from the, the gentleman that called in regarding commercial, I mean, commercial um, inspection, contracting sorts of things, because it's, it's more down to earth. You know, I'm fascinated by the stuff y'all are talking about. But um, are laws different uh, over wide parts of rivers and more open waterways, since nautical laws are different? from land labor laws and particularly over narrower spaces like canals and residential offshoots of the wide river so um this is a fascinating question thank you for the question um i to uh, to the extent that those air bodies of water are within national territorial boundaries um the laws over them uh from an airspace perspective will be uniform. Um, and I'm so asking, 
from a homeowner's you know perspective like i said the ground the dirt <laughs> you know if you if you're on the ground does a commercial sort of person like like the gentleman with the uh, contracting business um is it maybe it's i don't know maybe this can't be answered um are the laws different since the nautical laws are different regarding you know you can, in other words you can't go on somebody else's property or within six feet of it. And, of course, the title changes of everything. That changes everything with all of that. But can somebody come in from a, a wide part of a river or into a canal, should you have one that's narrower, and operate a drone from there to investigate your property? Right. So the way I understand it is you're saying um, it, the canal is not owned by you. The waterway is not owned by you. It's a navigable waterway, so it's subject to well, U.S. Out it is. <laughs> six, six feet out, it is owned by me. Right. I mean, to the technically, um, that would be a trespass to your land. If a if a drone were, would come over your land, whether it comes in from the canal or whether it comes in from the street, from the road, um, that would be a trespass on your property. Mikey, did you did you get that? Any time a drone is on your prop over your property, it's trespassing. Yes, ma'am, I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be specific with me. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, now, uh, if I can caution for a moment, though, um, these drones have now been classified as aircraft under federal law, which means if you shoot one down, you break a federal rule. So I would not recommend if a drone trespasses on your land uh, taking any self-help uh, action. I would just call the police and, and try and get it sorted out that way. Now, what about Amazon? You know, Amazon. We're, we're here that Amazon is starting to use drones and. and in other countries, drones are already China. I think they use them pretty regularly to, to do deliveries and things like that. So if if the Amazon drone has to fly over my house to deliver to my neighbor, would they have some kind of easement or something or some right to use my airspace? This is an issue, and this is not. This is not. There's no clear answer yet on this issue. Um, we're talking about operations in in in. Um, I believe what's considered to be Class G airspace, which is the lowest level airspace, which is up to 400 feet, and um, you know, we don't know where that line is going to be drawn between private personal property and what others can do. There was an incident in Kentucky where a person shot a drone down. He thought it was over his property. Um, and arguably, he, he could have been um, federal charges could have been brought against him. What happened in the case was that only state charges were brought against him, and the judge threw the charges out um, because um, she determined that it was an invasion of his property because there was some evidence that the drone was beneath the tree line. And so um, we really don't know how this is going to be worked out. There aren't any clear rules and regulations on operations over um, people's personal property yet. All right. Thanks for that question, Mikey. When you were talking about the the University of Mississippi's law school has this air and space law area, what kind of research are you doing that will help uh, promote exploration and utilization by the private sector? So we have, um, are developing a, a focus on 
helping the private sector access space and um, creating the regulations and laws that will uh, ease their uh, our transition into a spacefaring uh, species. So we there are some as as pointed out early in the program there are three phenomenal centers of air and space law in the world um, in Leiden, Netherlands, uh, McGill in in Canada, and here in Mississippi. And uh, we aim the, we aim to really focus our program on uh, bringing uh, commercial entities into Mississippi to work with us. Um, we are hoping to make Mississippi sort of a, a, an apex of air and space law um, and, a, and a, a vibrant air and space community here. We're actually uh, collaborating with a lot of the other, other departments within the university. Um, Engineering, journalism, um, the the manufacturing, and um, we we really would like to focus on the, the concept is everything that we do on Earth has to be done in space, and so we really want to make everybody uh, in Mississippi and the United States aware that uh, if you're a chef or if you are uh, an athlete, you're needed in space. Everything you do has a space application, um, and everything that you do is using space in some way, whether it's your phone or by remote sensing satellite. And so we really would like to, to build the sense of, of space is our backyard. Um, and you don't have to be an engineer in order to have a career in space. This makes me think of uh, the story of building a train track through the Italian Alps where there wasn't an engine yet that could pull the train, but they wanted to have the track laid so that uh, when the engine was invented, uh, it would uh, have, a, have a way to go. It seems like y'all are trying to think of ways to accommodate living in space, working in space, and uh, making it a, a commercial enterprise so that when the uh, engineers get us there will have already been thinking about it for a while. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about some of the, 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 the law school. What are some of the types of things that the students study having to do with air and space? Well, we actually had a, a wonderful visit yesterday uh, from Brian Stofield of Stofield Aerospace, and so they got to learn about um, how one one company is trying to launch satellites, uh, small satellites, from a balloon using um, engines that he that they're creating uh, that they're 3D printing. And so, what we're really trying to do is expose the law students to all aspects of space and and air, and and what they need to think about. And so, we're challenging our students here, just like you said, to build the tracks um, for our, our commercial enterprises to get into space. So um, we're really uh, encouraging them to uh, follow their passions. You know, we have one student who really wants to um, do uh, th get focused on uh, 3D printing, and so she's going to think about how what kind how the law will help her um, uh, get get a job with, or you know, um, or somehow work in that industry. Um, so it's we're really focused on uh, on helping people achieve their dreams. Well, and it's exciting that this is all happening in Mississippi. Professor Michelle Hanlon and Charles Stotler, thank you for being on our show today. 
Thank you for having us. Thank you, Liz and Richard. All right. And so for our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer in Jackson is Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. But we hope you'll enjoy, you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. when our guest will be Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman on In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.